I am Michael. I'm an improv artist. I'm a mental health survivor, pawn shop owner, first time stand-up comedian, and as always, very, very, very neurotic. I am also a TV host and your host for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It is a Dweebs Global production. That is why we do the podcast. Dweebsglobal.org. They give free mentorship to people around the world, every language, every country. It's completely confidential, anything from resume writing to mental health. So please, dweebsglobal.org. So I'm here today with David Eli Israelian. Having gone through mental health battles himself, Eli co-founded a fast-growing nonprofit that provides peer-to-peer support and technical training for others going through their own mental health battles. He is also launching a virtual reality telehealth, teletraining, and telementoring peer support service. So Eli, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I hope that intro kind of summed you up a little bit. Oh yeah, I mean I'm I know exactly what why we're here. Cool, this is incredible. I, I appreciate your intro too. I mean, uh, it says a lot about your character and where you're coming from. So incredible, thank you. Yeah, and of course I've been very honest with on the podcast about some of the struggles that I've been through myself. So it's um, you know, once you're honest, once you're open and honest about it, it, I think everyone has has their story too, and it. That's right. That's right. So, and I, I guess that leads me into what is your story? What, what, you know, what are yeah. your mental health battles that you've gone through? It's a very good question. I, uh, I reflect back in my childhood. I always go back to the, like the origin story of like, why do I have borderline personality disorder, for instance? And um, some, um, <clears throat> Some uh, psychologists or in research, they say that it could be derived from uh, childhood trauma. Right. So, you know, given the environment that I was raised in, I mean, I love my parents, you know, my father's passed now. And um, so I don't like to, to just, you know, discuss him in bad light, but he did contribute to that, you know, and my mother's poor choices of, uh, you know, attracting uh, certain types of um, traits or qualities in this man and my father, mm-hmm. um, I think also added to that. So, you know, you think of those individuals in your life or in, in our circles that are enablers, you know, they, they try really, really hard to support those they, you know, dearly love, but in the end, they're doing more harm. <clears throat> right, enabling, so, they're, they're enabling them. They're, they're yeah, enabling. like, you know, and, and, and there, there's a certain, you know, I, I, we talk about boundaries with love, romance, whatever you want to call it, or any relationship, whether it's business, personal friendship. And a lot of people don't know how to navigate individuals living with severe mental illness. Mm-hmm. And I think that a part of their character has to do either with, I am not going to give up, or I am um, you know, resilient, or the other one is they're ignorant. <laughs> so they're not even aware of what they're dealing with. They're just walking into the cage with a lion. So I think in my, you know, when I think of borderline personality disorder, I, I give credit to the way that I was raised early on. It could be hereditary. My father had it, but it's also a, a, a generational trauma because Would his you, father. Yeah, can yeah. you explain what exactly borderline personality disorder is? <clears throat> Just picture yourself split in your personality in this, not split personality, but split in the sense of there's love and hatred. <clears throat> there's the good and the evil side of you. And think of yourself as somebody who does not um, allow 
when any sort of external stimuli enters into your, you know, your, um, your mind or, you know, your body, whatever, you don't process it immediately. You're, ac you're actually reacting to that stimuli. And it could be whatever the trigger is. And so instead of being, you know, mindful, you're impetuous. So you're sitting there yelling at somebody because of something you think that they said, or maybe they did say it. And so you're not really displaying uh, appropriate behavior. You're yelling at them or you're cursing them out. You're trying to end that relationship. You're trying to detach from their or, or disassociate. And then you got the other end of that is when you do something wrong on your end, then you don't want to be neglected. It's almost like a childlike behavior where you display, you know, uh, tantrums like, oh, how dare you leave me? You can't leave me and you're going to stay with me forever and you're stuck here in your mind. And, you know, how, you know, it's like a child. It's a baby. So you didn't socially develop in that area or at least in the way that you process. And it's really interesting because when you speak to people with borderline personality disorder, they can intellectualize the process of like, yeah, I get what you're saying to me but they can't implement it. Most of them can't unless they come to the awareness and realization around, you know, what is the root? Why do I do this? What if, you know, maybe I should detach myself from that behavior or that how I, you know, how I normally would react. And a lot of people use dialectical behavioral therapy for that. What is that? Um, I, it's more of like, I don't want to get into the, uh, more clinical sense of those things, but I think you guys should look it up just so that, because it would take, um, it's, it's, it's like the balancing act of <laughs> um, checking reality in the way that I see it, of okay. when somebody stimulates me, I'm like, okay, well, what do I do with this? It's like adding a process to your um, emotions and gotcha. what you do with it. The other part, what I'm, what I would, my, I would say what I've been able to establish is somebody stimulates me, triggers me, and then I take it through and I filter it and I say to myself, okay, well, I could react really well to this. Like I can blow up on them if I wanted, but then I would destruct my everything. I would destroy my career in literally seconds. <laughs> and it took me over 10 years to recover. So like, why would I do that? So you start to intellectualize your process around your emotions and you, kind of like analytical therapy and you're like okay i could do this i could do that but if i do that i do it's kind of like chess you know you think of all the moves you can make and then you you start kind of winding back um and you're thinking no i can't do that so you go back in time it's like your your own time traveler <laughs> of making decisions before you do it and then you finally make the decision and when you do it hopefully it's the right one right but what that that's got to take such strength because you're essentially cutting off your knee-jerk reaction your 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 initial gut reaction and take yeah, a really yeah. long deep breath i mean yep. that's that's so difficult to do it's extremely difficult and then but it gets easier i'll tell you this yeah. one thing that borderline personality disorder um is kind of like a gift and a curse right the curse is that a lot of individuals are detached from it like they have this detachment toward their own identity so they have an identity crisis almost every other week or month <clears throat> they destroy friendships, they destroy their family. They, if you're a therapist, you're seeing them, typically you'll see there's like a lawsuit put against the therapist, like going after their license. 
Um, you'll see lawsuits around, you know, where they're living, where whatever their needs are, you'll see usually there's a lot of dispute around those um, constructs. Then <clears throat> what happens is <clears throat> these individuals, no one wants to support them, right? Because they're a high risk situation. So you're bringing them on to your uh, practice. It's like, you know, do you want to lose your license? Because this person is you typically, and I'm not saying this to boast like myself, I don't think of myself as like, wow, you're so intelligent. No, but they typically have a high, high IQ. So they love to exploit individuals weak, weak points, right? The pain points of any organization, any individual. So tip, so they have, it's, it's, they're notorious to, to dis destroy relationships. So there's a lot of pr practitioners say, please like, stay away or go to somebody who specializes in BPD. Interesting. Is it, does it have like a, I, I don't know that much about uh, personality yeah. disorders. So I'm, I'm just going to ask some questions. Is it, is, is there some, um, cause my, I think my brother had, my brother was never for, formally diagnosed, but a lot of what you're saying uh, reminds me of ways that he was. Uh, and I always thought that he was a bit, um, God, what's the term where you just care about yourself and nobody else. I mean, narcissistic, they, mm -hmm. they, they some extent. of them, they could be, I mean, some of them have, you know, multiple uh, diagnoses where they have BPD and NPD. Uh -huh. And or then socio sociopathic in a way, because you're just, I would say, here's the thing. So, mm -hmm. and I, and I've, you know, here's one thing I want to clear up because a lot of people that listen here, when I speak like, oh my God, he's a sociopath. I do not think that you're no, a no, sociopath. No, 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 it's, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but I, I want people to know there is actual this is how I can actually determine sociopathy. Mm -hmm. When you don't practice, when you don't exercise self-awareness, you tend to fall into sociopathic behavior. It's right. not that you don't have a big heart. It's not that you don't love or you're not capable of loving. It's the fact that you aren't using a muscle in your brain to really take sovereignty over your own you know, mind, your mental health. So you're allowing your mental illness to control you, which then in turn turns into sociopathic behavior. And when people say, well, then can a narcissist person, narcissistic person love and care? Yeah, they, yes, they can, but they have to have, they have to be the, the best narcissist. <laughs> Sorry, it's just like, they have to be the most humble narcissist. <laughs> they have to have uh, humility in order to overcome their narcissistic tendencies and say to themselves, you know what? I am capable of controlling. I am capable of mastering my own mind. Then those tendencies start to cut down because now they're allowing, they're not allowing their mental illness to turn into moral illness. And that's what happens often in, in the mental health community amongst people with personality disorders. They tend to act sociopathic. They exercise that part of their brain so often that they become almost bordering uh, psychopathic, depending on, you know, but it's, there's a difference. There's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. People always say, oh, they're a psychopath. No, the psychopaths have no, most of them, there's just no way that they can actually feel for you. It's just part of their brain that's turned off. Right. So there's, you can't control that. But with uh, <clears throat> sociopathy, they can control it. They're just, they just have to have they have to be nudged. They need to be supported. They need to have that <clears throat> self-awareness. They need to have a regiment. They need to stop thinking so much about their needs and 
exercise others. And so that's why I look, I'm not religious, but I, one thing I can tell you about faith and religion when it comes to, I've heard so, so often people say it's healing. It's like life changing. I can see why, because you're practicing serving others constantly. So another part of BPD that um, I've seen is that there's the, because of the detachment, I was coming back to the curse, the gift of the curse, right? There's the detachment. And so when they're not attached to an identity, they tend to be all over the place. Like in political party, like they don't care. They tend to be with uh, either radical one day with the leftist party, then radical with the right. And then they kind of like fluctuate and their <clears throat> how they identify it may change. Like I'm not who I said I was. Now my name is John Smith. Oh, guess what? My name is Sally Sue. So it's a very, they, they switch up a lot. And, and do they know they're doing this? Is it yeah, a conscious? Oh yeah. okay. They go deliberately, they'll change their name legally. Oh, okay. Because they're trying to either redefine themselves. You know, these are people that are very, I mean, I would say they have the potential of such growth mindset, but they're not always capable of implementing like that's that implementation process and so for me one thing i've i've seen that the golden in this the curse of it but became the gift of it is that i'm not attached to my political parties so i'm very objective walking in i'm like okay you guys suck right now in this moment you guys suck in this you know <laughs> what i mean about, sounds about right yeah. <laughs> let's come together and try to figure it all out because you guys are creating divide and you guys are everybody hates everybody my cousins hate me now i thought my cousins loved me you your, your cousins hate you they loved you one at one point it's just it gets ridiculous and so a borderline personality disorder could be in a better disposition or however you want to put it just to say hey you guys are like out of it <laughs> so because they're detachment they're able to see more objectively at times and remember that they can exploit pain points very easily so they can see the truth in so many people that's why they have a very poor time filtering through and uh, you know like either filtering through their process because they think they know better and they're so honest in that so they're going to call you out you know and so mm -hmm. But the, the, so the gold is that because they're so detached at times, they can build a growth mindset. They're, mo they're more quickly to progress in certain areas and learn fast. So those are the, like, you think of the golden nuggets, like Eminem, I'm not going to give his legal name, in case, but he, he has borderline personality disorder is from what others have gathered, what others have assessed based on his lyrics, his music, everything. Okay. Now, whether that's true or not, that's you know that's based on what clinicians have diagnosed him in the public and i don't know that's open everyone could check it out right. and there's so many artists out there actors that have bpd not bipolar disorder borderline pers personality disorder mm -hmm. and a lot of politicians have it so you know but when you're not well and you have it you're impeding in the freedom of others so it's a very dangerous Ill mental illness to have if you're not or personality disorder mental illness whatever if you're not managing it. Got you. And how, how do you manage it? Well, DBT, I was, as I was mentioning, right. meditation, um, having a strict diet, having things in your life that are predictable, like have a regimen, have a routine, um, organize your thoughts yourself. Uh, make sure that the people that you're surrounded by are very, very um, 
I would say stable because what happens with people with borderline personality disorder, they want to be around those that are either going to trigger them to be in, unstable or they're going to seek instability in others or create it from like literally from thin air. Like, wait, what did you say to me? Is that how I interpreted it? Because it's over right now. It's you're, you're going down, <laughs> you know, like there's no like going back on this. You are going down. And they're like, I didn't say it. I said he, <laughs> you know, like, oh, OK, that's gotcha. good. But it's, it's still, sometimes it's the semantics they get caught up on. So I, by the way, you're mentioning my other organization, Pure Mental Health. You know, we have folks that are coming in with borderline personality disorder. And some of them are coming in because they said, you have it. And I felt safe to come to you because no one else wants me around. <laughs> you know, like, I, I have a bad rap coming into these mental health agencies. So, you know, I'm glad you have it. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm managing it. You should too. Right. Don't don't be, don't be an asshole. <laughs> you know, sorry, but like, <laughs> like, you know, like take care of your shit, you know, have, have moral, have a moral compass. Like just because, Oh, I was born this way. It's like, no, you, you need to, one thing about the community of mental health, they almost make it okay to not be okay. And I don't like that. They're always saying you're good enough. You are just fine the way you are. It's like, no, you're not, you're not fine. You need to change. You need to have a growth mindset. You shouldn't be complacent in who you are because that means you, you, you're gone. You, you morally have, have um, succumbed to whatever status or whatever reach, you know, or pin, whatever checkpoint you, you have, you've made and you're, you're, you're done. You're, there is no more. There's, you just go to sleep. You know what I mean? And so we shouldn't as a society condone a message around it's okay to not be okay. What's the resolution? Like, what are you resuming to? Right. Okay, so things suck now, but what's your plan to not <clears throat> have it suck any further? So. Right. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people just don't want to change or don't, you know, first of all, I think you have to be pretty self-aware to know that, to admit that you have the problem and see the problem kind of from the outside, but then you have to want to make the change. You have to want to Yes, life differently. it's rewarded though nowadays. You know, there's the SB803, which we were forging behind with Painted Brain, the Senate Bill 803, which professionalized peer support specialists and provides funding through Medicaid, Medi-Cal in California, so that folks can actually provide a peer support service and get reimbursed through Medi-Cal. Got you. I know, you know, there's so much stigma that goes along with it. A lot of people don't want to get the help because they don't want people to know, especially if you have a child that you know might have something. And that goes on their record once you're yeah. somebody at the insurance. And, um, you know, that, that scares a lot of people away from it, which is very unfortunate. You're right. You know, for me, I, I think this is, again, one of my the strengths of having borderline personality disorder. By the way, I have schizophrenia and OCD, which I haven't, I didn't really share. But I think borderline personality disorder is one a topic that no one cares to talk about <laughs> because they feel exactly what you just said. The stigma is so heavy. Actually, there's there's internal, not only internalized stigma within people living with borderline personality disorder, but there's actual real stigma within the actual profession of providing services to those with BPT, BPD. And so the stigma outside of the world is like, oh yeah, mental illness sucks. And then when you get into the mental health <laughs> services, you're like, they're like, yeah, you suck. You have BPD. I'm not going to help you <laughs> get out of my office. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, I didn't work this hard to have you come in and lose my license. I, like how are you it's like no i'm not going to answer that question get out of my office <laughs> you know it's, it's it's kind of funny oh. 
I would love to create like a little series of like borderline personality disorder people coming into an office trying to get support and they're like, no, don't talk to me. <laughs> you know, I have a right to not serve you. So, um, and I, that wasn't really my experience, by the way. I've been pretty lucky in that I got caught up in the, I, I was incarcerated. So I'm lucky. <laughs> they had to, sorry. That, that helped. That, that, that helped. <laughs> Was that your bottom? Was that the? That was the bottom. Yeah, they had to help me. I was incarcerated, so um, <laughs> I guess that's the way to do it, right? No, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding, kidding. My God, I had never really heard much about it, so I didn't realize the stigma was that much worse than other mental health conditions. Because just any mental health condition, there's a stigma on it, and people. Yeah, are no, this one's very. So, this one's that one even takes it to another level, right? Yeah, this one's like bad. I mean, you got like I walked in once. I was like, oh, I've got schizophrenia. They're like, come on in. <laughs> um, I also have borderline personalities. They're like, get on out. <laughs> you know, like, well, what like, is, how does the schizophrenia present itself differently? <clears throat> For me, the way that I process information, I think that, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to contribute or tribute, tri yeah, tribute the, the credit of schizophrenia helped counter my borderline personality disorder challenges. But I would say that given that I had a lot of different types of delusions and active visual hallucinations, um, I think that, you know, I had a different identity, right? So it really morphed into several different ideas of who I am or who I'm to become. And my borderline personality disorder would interact with that. Like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's try that. You know, we'll change your name to Isen Salorius. Great, wonderful, you know, <laughs> whatever. And oh yeah, you're from Greece. Wonderful, but where's that accent, right? <laughs> so like, <laughs> one would just kind of communicate with the other and bring right. on those traits or that, you know, that story, and then I would embody it, like an actor, right? Mm -hmm. It's similar, except that you live it every single day and you become that thing. So right. it's very weird, weird reality. Uh, and perce perception of the reality is always changing based on those delusions. So if the schizophrenia started to think, oh, now this person that you're interacting with is, they've got something going in their mind, they're not clean, they're possessed, something is, is you know, um, directing them or, or controlling them, be mindful of that. Then the borderline would say, I'm cutting you out of my life. You shall never speak to me again. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, whoa, <clears throat> what the hell happened here? And so, <laughs> so sometimes it also feels like I'm on the passenger side of the seat and my BPD is sort of in the driver's seat. Like, it's fine. Don't worry about it, David. I got it. You're like, wait, where are you going? Where are we going? It's like, we're going. It's like, yeah, but where? Don't worry about it. I've got you covered. And then we end up in the ditch, getting incarcerated. You know what I mean? Right. Black, waking up in the mental hospital and thinking, wow. Why am I in a, adult diapers? What the what the hell happened? You know, like right. you said, you had this. So it's it's a very interesting <clears throat> engagement. Right. Um, I mean, I can I can completely relate uh, to feeling like I'm not in the driver's seat. Sometimes I have this other, you know, the, the subconscious, and it, yeah. it's just doing way too much. It is way <clears throat> too busy up there to uh, be able to function out here. Right. It's yeah. Mm -hmm. So everybody, I think, has a little bit of BPD, very right. small, and sometimes it can get heightened depending on if you have a lot of trauma, you know, mm -hmm. like PTSD can look like borderline personality disorder. 
Mm -hmm. um, so it all depends on how you as an individual, um, where your resiliency is on the, you know, are you resilient or are you apathetic um, and sort of caving into your emotions? Right. And so it, it really says a lot about borderline personality disorder when I know it's, you know, for, for me, it's like, you have to not only be resilient because that's, you know, like that temperament to like, I can deal with this emotion and trigger, but you really have to allow yourself to intellectualize the process so that the implementation can take place, you know? And so even if you're walking in <clears throat> a lot of them, I was, you know, I've, I've told everybody like when you walk into this arena of this formidable mental health broken system, which is always trying to sort of keep you into this number, this path, this cattling formation that everybody comes in uh, like, like, you know, kind of like animal farm, but for like mental health, right? Then mm -hmm. you're, you feel lost. You've already felt lost prior. You felt suicidal, but now you're feeling even more so, right? And so it's really daunting on anybody who's, you know, well, how am I going to recover? What is resiliency? I can't even grasp that. You want me to intellectualize it. What do you want from me? Because the people that are serving me aren't at the quality of care that I deserve. They don't have the empathy level that I need in order to feel safe. They are, uh, they forget my name. They don't even know my name. Um, I'm, I can't eat the kind of food that while I'm in this facility, I'm a, you know, let's say I'm a vegan plant-based, whatever. They're laughing about that. They're giving me meat purposely to piss me off. You know, <laughs> you know like there, there, you know, there's certain things I wake up to and I'm like, well, how did I get here? They, they over medicated me for a few days. So I, I forgot about my name and who I was, not that my psychosis didn't do that already. So you see, they can't trust what's broken. Right. And so for them, it's like, and they've told me, I've, I've had so many, like I've had people writing to me on Instagram and Facebook on the good end, uh, good side of things saying, thank you so much. You've enlightened me. God bless you, whatever. And then there was the other side saying, screw you. Um, I hope you can find the nearest bridge and jump off because you speak from entitlement. You're privileged. And I said, why? How am I privileged? I have the same disorder as what you've disclosed to me. It's because it's easy for you. Easy for what? Because I've made a decision. Just like anybody else, you have the right to a decision. It's a, it's, there's many paths. You just have to decide which one you're going to go on. And so a lot of people love and hate me. And so some of the borderline personality disorder community would come after me saying, go die, kill yourself, F you. And then next week, they'll come up to me and say, thank you. I love you. You're amazing. You're the only one who spoke the truth. Everybody else is coddling me. And it's like, look, you train people on how to treat you. So if you're going to be, you know, if, if every little thing is going to be a trauma mind for you, mm -hmm. you're probably never going to recover because of the way that you think. You don't have a growth mindset. You have a fixed mindset. You're a victim. You have a victim mentality. You don't want to go through the process and take responsibility for every relationship you've torn up, for every therapist that lost their license under your, <laughs> for every lawsuit, for every blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. You have to face your wrongs. And that's the moral. Once you come to that moral understanding, your mental illness gets 
on the it gets on track to the road to recovery or the rocky road to recovery right right and i'm sure it's still a battle every day I'm sure it is oh my god it's wanna... continuum. Right. that's the program's name I, I call the program the continuum for a reason because it's a spiral upward spiral mm -hmm. they always tell us right when we're in the um in their care they say well you're gonna go and you're gonna have a downward spiral but that narrative has been so fixed i said no 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 i'm gonna have an upward spiral because at the least i'm not gonna fall down on this direct vertical path i'm gonna fall and slide kind of down but i'll go back up because it's not i'm not gonna let it be so polarized in, in terms of my destruction i'm gonna slide this time Gotcha. And, so, and, then, and as you're walking up this path, this is the continuum. And the continuum, when you turn it this way, it's a circle, by the way, obviously. And so that it's the whole, it's a circle, is the logo for that program. Right. And people use this all the time, like, oh, the continuum, the continuum. So we called it the continuum. It makes sense. It does make sense. Um, what I can relate most to you with is the OCD part. Uh, that is my biggest haunting <laughs> uh wreck of my brain you know i do the i don't do really the physical stuff because everyone always thinks of ocd as people washing their hands 10 times or moving things and mine's all about like rumination and just mm -hmm. repeating thoughts and just just getting trapped in that like just yeah. waking up at two in the morning and not realizing even doing it until i've been an hour awake an hour and my brain is just tired from oh my gosh. accomplishing nothing except for repeating horrible thoughts over and over again or, right. or remember bad memories or decisions or you know it's right yeah my god i can relate with that especially when i so if i if i use the wrong word in a meeting depending on the scenario like the high stake right when you're in a high stake meeting mm -hmm. people are watching every move you make the way you process information your business decisions your strategies whatever Mm -hmm. And if you present something that's stupid, <laughs> for better word, um, then you you end up feeling like, man, they must think such so low of me. And that's something that BPD does too. They tear themselves up, and an obsessive compulsive disorder comes in and says, <laughs> "Don't worry about it. I'm going to obsess about this for a while, and I'm going to help you learn your lesson." <laughs> right? It's like, <laughs> Now it's like rumination. I can't sleep. I'm thinking about that word or that phrase or that suggestion. I'm like, wow. And then I learned, here's what I've learned with a growth mindset. When you take this ideology of don't stay on something for too long, get over it really quickly because the faster you can get off of it, the faster you grow as a person and it reflects your business because you need to be as vulnerable as you possibly can to become the better version of you. That's, mm -hmm. you know, the, the best version of you out there. So that's why it took up comedy standup is so I can self-deprecate, humiliate myself in public as, as often as I could, because the less, the more you can lessen your ego, the more intellectualized you become, the more you intellectualize. Because the amygdala part of the brain isn't allowing you to process anything else but your emotions, your more, most primitive emotions. So what do you, why, get off of it. So I, I, so I would make mistakes. Even in this podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm certain I've said something stupid or wrong, which is fine. And people <laughs> take it out of context and republish it and say something like, he is sick. He needs help. Who cares, right? <laughs> what is Painted Brain? Let's get into that. What is uh... Painted Brain, you know, when I first, like, we didn't name it. 
there was a, a young man who lived with autism, specifically Asperger syndrome uh, at the time, um, and was in a group for uh, young adults living with autism uh, out of D.D. Hirsch. And that was my partner, Dave Leon, who started the group out of D.D. Hirsch, where he was creating these little mini scenes, little you know, magazines. And <clears throat> the one of the members in that group said, hey, why don't we call this the painted brain? And so what it meant to be the paint, what it, what it meant to be a part of the painted brain is really, really kind of like, it has an interesting origin story. The, during the 1970s, the deinstitutionalization policies that it took effect, took individualized support model in and cut off from community-based organizations and community efforts to bring people together. So everybody was in their own little silo. And <clears throat> what we were addressing was that how to get people back together that live with these challenges. That's what it was meant to do. Okay. So why did, that, why did we allow this to, to, to sort of um, continue without being addressed? It was you know, maybe lack of funding, lack of evidence-based practices with peer support, you know, but we have a lot of that. So it's just not greatly understood. And so, because you have that, also the, the, the culture around clinicians and peers working together or, um, you know, sort of uh, recognizing their, their, their the values in that. It wasn't really, you know, no one cared. So that group would start and it would become the catalyst to bridge individuals from different mental health agencies to bring their clients together in this group called the Painted Brain. And then they would create art, poetry, music, you name it. They would do photography, written pieces, whatever. And then that would all um, uh, basically uh, comprise um, the, the magazine. So they would, we had a hard copy and we would drop it off. I would drop it off um, at these cafes and these libraries. And I would, and I'm gonna be honest here, I snuck into a lot of these places and dropped it off as if they were selling it there. And <laughs> I, <laughs> that wasn't legal. And um, I did this and I, I remember getting caught multiple times and it was so sad. I'm like, we just want to bring mental health awareness and we don't even care for the money. We just want it to be present. So are they, uh, is it a, are they actual places people come or is it an online or is it is hmm. actual? Yeah. So we didn't have a place at first. We mm -hmm. were kind of like hippies, you know, we were trying to find our way and, you know, we would like ask people, can we use your space? We did have that, the annex. That's how Dave and I met. When we left that space, we went to the talking sticks near up in Santa Monica, Venice area. Mm -hmm. And we were sort of mobile. We would meet at the park. We would meet at the ocean, the beach. We would meet at like uh, random events. It was cool. Like we were very mobile at the time. Now we have a community center uh, off of Pico and Robertson area. Okay. So that's uh, took a lot of fundraising and really, really grinding it out there. We had to convince many people like, hey, look, mental illness, mental health, come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> care about it. And eventually we got people to like, we fostered a community of donors, you know, even funders and the fee for services, because we have a business model that we run off of. We don't expect a handout and even a hand up really. I mean, we've been able to create our own internal services that funds 40 plus employees now. Oh, well. and growing we're going to be over a five million dollar organization next year and growing to 10 million it's projected 
so i mean we are on fire you know right it's thanks to you know rachel chambers my other partner she's an incredible fundraiser incredible i mean if there's any organization out there that wants to build capacity in terms of grant getting grant writers or um getting the capital to build she is the person to go to okay it sounds like a wonderful organization um where can people find it i'll make sure i put the link as well mm. it's paintedgrain.org okay it's a beautiful website too oh thank you I yeah appreciate that um and then there's also purementalhealth.com for those that are interested in VR, like you were mentioning earlier. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> virtual reality engagement and providing peer support, as well as therapy, where we have licensed clinicians that we work through with Anavolt. And that is something that is, I've never seen it. You only hear about it kind of in theory, but not in practice. We've got, um, we're also in, um, and uh, growing our partnership with Dr. Skip Rizzo at the ICT Institute of Creative Technologies at USC. And he is incredible. He is the, I mean, they call him the, the, the godfather or the grandfather of VR uh, therapy. So okay. this is somebody that you guys should look up and he's, we're working with him and we, are, we have a partnership now, an expansion into Boulder, Colorado. A few weeks, I'm gonna be going out there um, to set up the program for the, the continuum program there. And that basically is, um, uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's a virtual reality program that allows for individuals to engage in social and emotional settings, like a social and emotional support group setting, um, as well as uh, resiliency training. And so for those individuals, the reason we're going to Boulder, Colorado is there was a, there was a mass shooting that occurred on March 22nd of this year. And so in response to that, our program is now uh, going to support the victims that were in the King supermarket. Um, and so that's a huge thing that's going on right now that's in development. And so it will be one of the first virtual reality trauma intervention programs for mass shootings in the world. Wow. That's something we're doing, yeah. Very cool. That's, that's super interesting. And I can, I can picture my, I can definitely visualize how that could help. And I'm surprised that it's taken this long for it to come around. I guess they've been using virtual reality for like scared of height, you know, height fears and elevator fears and, and things like that. But um, the intricacies of mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And even mm -hmm. for first responders, I mean, even the police, my goal is that we can connect with um, different police departments in different counties and do virtual reality training to be prepared for responding to those in mental health crises. So, yeah. you. very cool. And then lastly, you do stand up. You mentioned. Yeah. How? When did you start that? I'm, I just took my first class two weeks ago. Did my first five minute set. So I'm oh, I'm a newbie. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. That's great. Good for you. That says a lot about. I mean, I'm not trying to like speak. And, and compliment myself through you. That's not what I'm trying to do right now, but it's, it's kind of going to be like that. It's, it, it really builds your character to be out there vulnerable, kind of like you're just bare in front of everybody showing your character and, and trying to basically ex, not exploit your weak points to make fun of that and to say, wow, ha, ha, ha. And, but it's a way to bridge people toward normalizing mental illness because the idea of, 
you know, I don't understand this person, therefore I fear them or I write them off is mm -hmm. the normal thing to do. So when you use comedy to bridge people to have that kind of like education or that, you know, um, advocacy work done, it's mm -hmm. indirect. You're not trying to like, hey, did you know you're coming in here for mental health ed? No, <laughs> you're just making them laugh through it. And then they understand you. And if anything, they want to connect with you further. And every single time they think of schizophrenia, BPD, OCD, bipolar, whatever it is, they're always going to make that connection and association with you. Got you. Got you. Uh, how long have you been doing the, the stand up for? I was first 13 when I started. A long day. I mean, yeah. you don't look that old. <laughs> no, he's not that funny for that long, you know. He's, he's <laughs> that's gonna be terrible. But but thirteen, I started, and um, I did a Hollywood improv improvisation club. I went there and I did my stand up. I was God. I was so young, and I was so scared of like, not that I wasn't gonna be funny, but there was a skateboard trick that I had to do, and I kept thinking, somebody may get hurt tonight. And it, <laughs> Because <laughs> if I don't land this trick on stage, the skateboard is going to just fly off and <laughs> go someone's chin and they're going to end up in the ER. So that almost happened, by the way. So the, <laughs> the last second I said a joke and then no one laughed. I was like, shit, this is it. This is going to save it. <laughs> I'm going to do this, this skateboard trick. And I did a kickflip. I did a mm -hmm. kickflip and the wheel, I ended up landing on a, a wheelie. So I was on my back wheels. Mm -hmm. And the guy was drinking a wine, you know, he had his glass and it tipped his wine glass into his <laughs> mouth. So it made him look like an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like gulping it. <laughs> and then the red light came on, like, get the hell off. This yeah, thing. Oh, you're lucky that yeah, you're very lucky. <laughs> that was it. And so, that, but, but coming back to the, like the fort, like now, most current, I connected with, uh, Richie Lease is a good friend of mine and we became good friends after the outreach and he contacted me through Comic Cure. He has an, a nonprofit organization or social enterprise organization that supports fundraising for nonprofits. And so through comedy, mm -hmm. he reached out and he said, hey, you know, we would love to do a, a micro fundraiser for you guys. And then that's how it started. And then I told him, I said, uh, one night I got up there during a, one of our fundraisers I said, I'm going to make fun of my schizophrenia tonight. And hopefully it'll bring uh, the stigma down. And I went up there and I started, <laughs> I started making fun of my hallucinations. And I looked around and I'm like, shit, no one's laughing. Is this therapy now? Like no one's, you know what I mean? Like no one's actually laughing at like what I'm saying. This is terrible. Shit, now it's therapy. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to get off the stage and I'm going to take his workshop. So I took his workshop series and that's when I started to write material that actually made people laugh. Gotcha. One of them I can give you, but you know, like, um, I don't know if you've listened to some of my, my, like one of my sets. Uh, I have not, unfortunately, I wish I had, and I will. After no, that. no, you're good. You're good. Uh, yeah, no, one I wish them, I had. Yeah. One of them I say is like, you know, um, my, you know, my friend, my good friend tells me that, you know, David, you have schizophrenia. But jokes on him. I don't have friends, so you know, like you know, whatever. You know, right, right. Thing, you know? Or like one out of three people lives with severe mental illness. Look to your left now. Look to your right. Both of those people think you're crazy. 
<laughs> it only works in like an audience that you know no, like that's funny audience, right so it's like when you play on stats you you, you mm-hmm. kind of play with people's minds like you don't know maybe you're the crazy one too you know and so they start to have this like oh shit maybe i have it maybe you know I've been <laughs> myself all my life this oh is yeah <laughs> you know, i had a comedy show that i'm i'm so ill. i knew it <laughs> you know? right well if all, if all my friends are with me then they all just look at me because they know that i'm the <laughs> that I'm the crazy one yet, so, so I, I relieve all of them of <laughs> That's right. Very cool. this is this has been great Eli I really appreciate uh the openness and sharing your organizations sound wonderful uh and you are helping an infinite amount of people so it, it's pretty amazing yeah and I appreciate you Michael Yes, thank you. Such strength. So I'm going to get past a little better. I'm going to get a little better at my OCD. (laughs) Good. It's good. All in time. All in time. All in time. So thanks again. Um, We will post the links underneath the podcast and the video. Again, it's paintedbrain.org as well as peermentalhealth.com. And again, this has been Second Scene. I am your host, Michael, and this is a Dweebs Global production. It's why we do this podcast, dweebsglobal.org. They give free mentorship help uh, all around the world, pretty much every language, anything you need help with, anything from resume writing to mental health, dweebsglobal.org. We'll see you all next week.